Welcome to Mytho Ladies, a podcast where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all around the world. We're your hosts. I'm Zoe. And I'm Lizzie. So, Zoe, who are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about Oba, who is a Yoruban Orisha. Nice. So, uh, she is the Orisha of lakes and ponds. She is worshipped by the Yoruban people, which is a group of Yoruban language-speaking people, which found generally in modern-day Nigeria and Benin. She is also venerated in America, North and South America, uh, particularly in Brazil, as a goddess of love. And she's believed to be the daughter of Yamaya, who is the patron spirit of oceans and rivers in West Africa. Nice. So firstly, some background about Orishas. So they are spirits sent by the supreme being, Olodumare, to guide all creation, especially humanity. And there's generally three different types. So there's primordial, which has two subtypes. Uh, So first, there's those that have existed long before humans have and came directly from God without any human intervention. And they live in heaven. And then there's the Earth's first inhabitants, like the first humans, which are now sacred beings. And they live on and within the Earth. Okay. So they're among the humans or they're like... They are humans. They're, like, among the humans, but they're not quite with the humans. Okay. Like, they're, you know, sort of, like, existing in the same... It's, like, sort of in the same space, but not quite on the same plane, I believe. Okay. Like, spirits. Um, then there's deified ancestors. So those are people who lived on the Earth after it was created, and they greatly influenced or changed the world. So their descendants continue their memory. That's so nice. those are often, yeah, kings, heroes, heroines warriors, and founders of cities. And they are generally honored for their ability to establish power over a natural force and make a bond of interdependence with it through offerings and sacrifices. So they later often disappeared or died in a miraculous way, such as sinking into the earth, ascending into heaven, suicide, or turning into stone. And this isn't considered a true death, but more of a metamorphosis into an orisha. So like ascending into their true form. Okay. So after their death, their family members would begin sacrificing to them and continuing the rituals that they were performing to these natural spirits and natural forces. And then they would pass those rituals down to descendants and thus they would be uh, worshipped as Orishas. So some family Orishas would become more culturally widespread, but they're generally restricted to towns of origins and often specific families and lineages. So then the third type is the personification of natural forces and phenomena. So the Yoruba belief is that any element of nature useful for humans has a spirit residing within it. So there are many spirits, but some are more important. So like spirits within the earth, rivers, lakes, lagoons, mountains, certain trees, and the wind. Then Orishas manifest in aspects of the natural force that can be harnessed and cultivated by humans. And they sort of, and then there's another side which is the other part of nature that can never be tamed by humans. Orishas serve humans by mediating between these two sides. 
So they allow the tameable aspects of nature to fall under human control while protecting them from the more uncontrollable sides of nature. So to worshippers, the tamed natural force and their ancestor are linked together, and the unity is represented by witnessing objects that act as physical support for Orisha's powers. So the collection of objects become an altar. Okay. Yeah. So basically, and so it's is Orisha is Orisha like a blanket term for like all spirits in this? Yeah. So like all religion, of these or? like three types of spirits. Okay. Yeah. So like a lot of it is about like the union between humans and nature and the continued like practice of mediating between natural spirits and humans. Okay. Um. So it's they're said to be. 400 plus one orishas, which is a sacred number. Um, so four, s- 400 plus one? Yeah. So not 401. Yeah, they say 400 plus one. Okay, it's quite nice. Yeah, other sources say there are as many as you can think of, plus one, and a numerable number. Ah, uh, okay, I see. Yeah, so the beliefs in orishas originated in West Africa with many groups, including the Yoruba, Bini, Eva, and Fon, to name a few. And they eventually spread to North and South America through the Atlantic slave trade. And they underwent some changes due to the oppressive environment of slavery and also the introduction of Catholicism and other forms of Christianity. And this influenced and helped the development of religions such as voodoo, santeria, candomblé, ubada, and oyotunji. Like we talked about last episode. Yeah, exactly. So the one last episode when you were talking about the Loa and Haitian voodoo, I was like, this is kind of what I'm talking about next episode. So <laughs> it's all yeah. related. Yeah, it's all related. Um, Which absolutely makes sense. Considering, yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So any questions about the Orisha? Like, does this make sense? I think so. It's like, so they're just like really any spirits, but I really like how they have the deified ancestors. Like, that's mm-hmm. quite nice. Yeah. So they're... Um, Basically, a lot of spirits, they're just meant to guide creation, in particular humanity, but not just humanity. So, like, we have the natural force spirits that are also guiding nature and serving as the intermediary between, like, the more uncontrollable aspects of nature and the more, um, you know, parts of nature that humans can control, like, through agriculture and, you know. Yeah. And, like, so deified ancestor Orishas, like... Do you know you're going to become an Orisha or like, is it like a great honor? Is it like destiny? Like, do you know? I'm guessing it's more of like a destiny sort of thing. Like they, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing it's like they were performing these rituals in order to accomplish something greater than just like their own deification. Like, you know, for establishing power over the natural force um in order to uh like become a great warrior uh to be a hero to found a city something like that i don't know if this is like comparable but like how in greek mythology like you would become a constellation yeah that makes sense that's sort of my comparison there yeah i see that yeah and then there's also like the creation of the people that were there before humans like is there a creation Mm -hmm. story i'm sure there is a creation story i didn't look too much into it uh because it was i didn't i wanted to keep my notes more focused on just like the story of alba and just wanted to explain like what orishas are so like when i talk about her yeah (laughs) we can continue then yeah so uh a bit about alba 
She is smart, competent, independent, skilled in commerce, and beautiful. So she demonstrates okay. duty, loyalty, and supportiveness as a wife, even if it puts her life in danger. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so she kind of an ideal woman type of thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, like mythologically. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. So she studied martial arts and sword fighting under Ogun, who is a primordial orisha and the patron of medals and war, and also, I believe, was one of the husbands of Erzli Freida. Yes. Like we mentioned last episode. What a weird coincidence. Uh, it makes That's sense. That's amazing. Th- these I are mean, the same spirits, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, They've been displaced. They're not like... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. So she's considered by some stories a female counterpart to Ogun. Um, I couldn't find more details on that, but apparently that is the case. That's uh, fascinating. So And she studies martial arts. That's very Yeah, nice. so she's not just like, um, you know, a prim and proper woman. You know, she's a business lady she can fight, she's a warrior, and she's also like a water spirit. But we'll get into that with this story, which is the most famous story associated with Alba. So she was a very beautiful woman and suitors came from afar to ask to marry her. But none of them were good enough for her father and he sent them all away. Beautiful. It's like a fairy tale. Exactly. Yeah. But one day, Shango, the god of thunder, arrived and took her to be his wife. So Shango is another Orisha and the third Oliphant, or king of the Oyo kingdom where he was when he was human. So he's like one of those deified ancestors. Okay. Orishas. So he is considered the head of the Orisha pantheon and the most powerful and feared. And he's a thunder god. Yeah. He's, Very nice. So he's pretty, he's pretty hardcore. Like and so like, of course, when he showed up and asked for Oba to be his wife, her father was like, Yes, please take her. Um, (laughs) And so she became his wife. And so she was his first wife, which is a position of rank and authority among his other wives and those around him in general. So yeah, so Shango, being a king, wanted more than just one wife after he married Alba, which was common practice at the time um, in West Africa to have multiple wives. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, like I said, being the first wife is generally a position of rank and authority. So even if you were, like, another wife, you generally, like, listen to the first wife and were, like, lesser. Makes sense. It was, like, a hierarchy. Yeah. And so, like, right. Oba was down for him to have more wives, um, but, like, as long as they followed that hierarchy and they were subordinate to her. But mm-hmm. his affairs with his new wives, Oya and Oshun, however, were too much for her. Because he treated them like his queens and viewed them with passion and desire. And actually, Ova was required to do housework for them for the first seven days, which is a custom for welcoming new wives. But they did not offer to do anything for her when the seven days were up. And they wow. claimed that Ova didn't have authority to ask them to do things. Well, that won't fly. Yeah. Similarly, Oya was the Orisha of winds, lightning, and violent storms. And Oshun is considered to be a manifestation of the supreme being and at the time, she was mortal, but eventually deified it into an important river goddess. So basically, neither of them were going to be subordinate to anyone, including Olva. guess that makes sense. Yeah, so Olva wanted him to only desire her and leave the other woman. And also, she was believed to be the only wife who could, could give birth to imperial heirs, which created another level to their rivalry. So it wasn't like she had nothing. There was, like, some actual competition between them. Mm. So the other two wives saw this and decided to play a trick on her. It depends on the retelling of the story, which wife did it, but it's generally said to be Oshun. 
So Oshun told Oba that as a co-wife, she would take care of her by teaching her how to cook for their husband. And she told Oba that the key to winning Shango was a magical culinary ingredient. She said that whenever she cooked for Shango, she sliced off one of her ears and fed it to him, which won him over. Did the ear grow back? So she claimed that the ear grew back and demonstrated her intact ears to sh- okay. show this. Um, then wow. there's another so she's story. Just a trick. Okay. Yeah. So in another story, um, Alva showed up for their lesson, and Ocean had a cloth wrapped around her head, and she was stirring a pot with two mushrooms in it. And then she said the mushrooms were her ears. And since she had a cloth around her head, it looked like she didn't have ears. Wow. And then there's a bunch of other variations in the ways in which Ocean, or sometimes Oya, tricked Ova into believing that they had cut off their own ears in order to convince her to do it. Jeez, okay. Yeah. So Ova was unsure, but she was willing to try anything in order to get Shango back. But when she presented Shango with her severed ear, he was so disgusted that he chased her into exile and never returned to her. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's a terrible trick. Yeah. So there are some variations here as well. Some stories say he actually ate her ear without realizing and gained his real strength. But when he found out, he still exiled her. Other stories say that he left satisfied with the meal without realizing what happened. But then Oshun appeared and mocked him with for having a wife with a physical defect, and then he oh. found out about her ear, and then, then again exiled her. So pretty most almost all the stories end with Ova being exiled, and the ear did not grow back. No, that's, it did not. That's a shame. Yeah. So grieving, it's said that Ova transformed herself into the river Ova, which is in Nigeria. Um, also, sense. some says that her tears created it. It intersects with the river Ocean at a very turbulent rapids, which represents their rivalry. That's amazing. And it's said, symbolic. Yeah, it said that one must not speak the name of Ocean while crossing the river Oba, or speak the name Oba while crossing the river Ocean, or you'll be drowned. Hmm. And then okay. other stories say that if you take water from one river and place it in the other river, something bad will happen to you. So okay. basically... Um, and also, it. yeah, so also when you petition Alba, you should not petition her at the same time you peti- petition Oya or Ocean. You need to keep the three of them separate. Mm. So basically, the rivalry continues and there's no reconciliation. Kind of sucks that they're the ones suffering and not Shango. Yeah, definitely. So, kind of Ol- his fault. Yeah. Uh, but then, of course, there's the argument that, like, the wives didn't respect the hierarchy of, you know, having multiple wives. I suppose. But still, Olba is the one who suffers, so. Mm-hmm. So, Olba is said to wear a white bandage around her head to keep her missing ear, and she dances with her left hand over her missing ear in order to keep it hidden. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. in a lot of stories, it's the left ear, so left hand, left ear. So, um, there are some more like distinct alternatives to the stories so um the story is generally spread by oral tradition i believe so it makes sense there's a ton of variation mm-hmm. um so i'm not going to include like every single variation but i'm going to include like some ones that i found were interesting and distinct so in one in cuba they tend to say that oya tricked oba not ocean and so in one analysis they say that shango worshipers tend to say that oya did it well, Oshun worshippers credit their own goddess with the trick, which I thought mm. was interesting. Yeah. 
Um, then in another Cuban version, no wife tricked Olga. Instead, she mutilated both ears in order to feed her husband after they ran out of goat. Um, because he was fighting in a war against Ogun. Oh. Wait, the person who taught her sword fighting? Yeah. Oh, that's quite sad for her. Yeah. So she was trying to feed him and, like, make him, like, so he would have the strength to fight in the war. And then they ran out of goat and she was like, what do I do? And then she ended up cutting off her ears and feeding them to her husband. She is such a good wife. She is. And she just got exiled. Yeah. And while he was like, you're ugly now, so I don't want to be married to you anymore. It's really Uh, sad. Yeah. So in some versions, when Olba finds out she's been tricked, she starts fighting viciously with Ocean and doesn't stop until Shango turns them both into rivers. Okay. And then one version says that Ocean told the story about the ear to Olba in revenge. So this story says that Olba had told Ocean that it was Shango's wish to have his meal cooked over a fire of banana wood. But the wood did not catch because I guess banana wood isn't very flammable. And Shango arrived home angry to see that his meal was not ready. And so, in retaliation, Oshun told Alba that it was Shango's wish for Alba to use her ear when preparing his food. That's terrible. Yeah. So then another version doesn't include Alba at all. Instead, Oya tricks Oshun into cutting off her ears. So, in this version, there's no Alba and Oshun is the victim, which is interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then in Ifa, a Yorban religion, the story is reversed. The act of cutting off her ear is successful, tying her to Shango, until she is stolen from him by another god. So, and then there's another, other versions of the story actually have Oshun being the senior wife of Shango, and Olba, her junior, and still others have Oya cutting off Olba's ear in a fight. Okay. So, yeah. Those are the main so basically variations. basically a very important myth that there's so many variations. Yeah. So, um, before we get into further in our discussion, what do you think about all this? Well, I think it's very cool that Oba, like, cried a river mm-hmm. and that she, or did you say that she turned into the river as well? Um, so some stories say she cried a river and some stories say she turned into a river. Either way, I think that's really cool. And did she have any association with, like, water or, like, bodies of water before that? It's really unclear. Um, The main thing I found about her was that story about the ear. Um, And then, like, about her modern-day worship, which I'll get into in a second. Okay. Well, I think she's very nice. Um, I kind of wish I had more about her personality, because, like, all we know about her is that she didn't like the other wives, but... Mm-hmm. That's life, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, um, I read there's not an in-character act for Olba. She was smart, independent, and competent. So, she was not generally someone who um, would sort of do something so desperate in order to win the love of a man. I like that um, depiction. Yeah. But she was blinded by her love for Shango, and the article I read said, quote, love was her Achilles heel. Oh, well, that's kind of nice. Yeah, so I thought that was really, you know, poignant, that, like, she was so in love and so desperate to keep the man that she loved that she was really willing to do, like, serious things to sacrifice. What that kind of reminds me of? 
Merlin Ooh. and Vivian. Oh, yeah. <laughs> episode one. Episode one, But, yeah. like, reversed. Mm-hmm. Like, she's, yeah. like, I don't know if she knew about how terrible her fate would be, like Merlin did, but she's, like, or no, she did. She did, didn't she? She didn't. She thought it was going to save him. Save their oh, life. so that's quite sad. Yeah, so she, you know, it's just really the act of a desperate woman who wanted to save her failing relationship. And that's really sad. Yeah, so it's it's a very tragic story, I think. So then it must be like water, like bodies of water might have been like associated with, you know, tears and crying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. I like that. And it also, because yeah. like last episode, episode nine we talked about um how Ersley freda's tears flood the world yeah it's like and her think, grief mm-hmm. you know it's kind of similar yeah so it seems to be um sort of a message against jealousy in these situations to not let envy blind you to do things but i feel like it could also be a story of passionate tragic love like I said, she was so desperate to have him love her back that she was willing to mutilate herself if it won him over. Yeah, that's quite the image. Yeah, so like it's you could look striking. at it as like a moralistic way, but also I think you, I think it's just more powerful. It's like a really, you know, a tragic story of a woman who was really in love with a man. Yeah. Um, and so the River Oba is a tributary of the River Ocean. Which, so it always seems to be a lesser form of the other Orisha. And she's always overshadowed by her due to her greater beauty, strength, and power. Well, that's very sad. Yeah. And I also thought it was interesting perversion of the womanly duty of cooking. So by cooking for her husband, Oba is trying to conform to womanly roles in order to keep her husband's love. But ends up taking it too far and being cast away by him. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And then I also thought that Shango's rashness in throwing her out could also be a commentary and demonstrate a negative example of what true love and loyalty should be. Hmm. Like, uh, like how? Like, well, she's showing um, her love and loyalty to him and his immediate response is not is just to freak out and throw her out as opposed to like considering, um, you know, what it really means. And so instead, like, of, you know, it's listening to her message and trying to understand where she's coming from. He just throws her out and doesn't listen to her at all. So, like, instead, it's an example of what not to do, basically. Yeah, like, it's... The loyalty is very one-sided. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, with her worship, she's worshipped as the goddess of love in Brazil, as I said. And she's also considered to be a protector of sex workers in many parts of Africa, which I thought was really cool. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So um, she is, her favorite people are faithful wives, sex workers, those who would risk anything for love, and women married to abusive, neglectful, and or cheating spouses. Well, that's beautiful and Mm -hmm. quite sad. Yeah. And she's invoked to punish people who exploit loving people, which I really loved. Yeah, that's quite nice. I like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, her symbols are lightning, the sword or machete, the fly whisk, and the water buffalo. Um, her colors are red and white in Brazil. In West Africa, it's more purple or burgundy and the rainbow. Her day is Saturday, and her offerings are flowers, candles, wine, water taken from a lake or a pond, but distinctly not rainwater or spring water, and beans cooked with onion and shrimp. 
You know who else's day is Saturday? Who? It's Arizali Dantor. Interesting. Yeah. It's interesting that they have a day. Yeah. I was, that's very also interesting because when I was like th- thinking, I was thinking she was more similar to Erzali Freda. And that she's I agree for the like, most part. A grieving spouse that's yeah, more exactly. overshadowed like by the other wives of the people she's married to. But it's also interesting. I could see like, but also the people who are her, her va- favored people are more similar to those who are favored by Erzali Dantour. Yeah, exactly. They're like protecting like vulnerable people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like women who are being abused by their spouses, um, people who are want to risk everything for love. And also how she's invoked to punish people who exploit loving people, which is similar to how Ezra Dantour punishes um, people who are harmful towards women. Exactly. Which is quite nice. And you can see yeah. the similarities because the group of people influenced Vodou. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, absolutely. Yeah. Quite yeah. interesting. Yeah. So... A few more facts. Um, the River Oba passes through the city of Iwo, and the people of Iwo are referred to as the children of Oba. Then, yeah, so then the cent- her center of worship moved to the city of Ogbomosho in the 19th century. And unfortunately, I couldn't find where it was before, but it's there now. And that was due to, like, warfare. What country is that in? Uh, Nigeria. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And there she is described as the wife of Aganju, who is another deified warrior king, like I said, generally thought to be the father or brother of Shango. But he walks with a sword and fights with fire, while Shango fights with thunderstones and lightning. But then also sometimes he's worshipped as a manifestation of Shango and the Candomblé religion. So, like, it could also just be another, um, you know, variation of saying that she's Shango's wife. Um, But... Distinctly, um, the story says that she was the one who left in, so in Ogbomosho, they don't accept the ear story. Ooh. Yeah. So um, they say that she dances with her hand over her ear, but they don't give a reason for this. Okay. And they say that she was the one who left Shango in order to marry Aganju. Oh. Gives her so, a bit more agency. Yeah. And um, she's... Also described as Oba, who owns parrot tail feathers and fights on the left. So I thought that was really interesting because this is like the main center of her worship. And they don't really accept the story that shows her as being sort of a jealous, desperate, like, um, like fooled victim wife. And so I thought that was like very fascinating. But also, um, I couldn't really find many other myths about her, so I don't really know what they say instead, except for the fact that she dances with a hand over her ear and she owns parrot tail feathers. Um, so as you mentioned in the last episode, um, many uh, spirits and beings from countries in West Africa and West African religions have been syncretized with Catholic saints. And Alba has been syncretized with some Catholic saints as well. Ah, cool. So she was syncretized into Saint Catherine of Siena and Saint Rita of Caschia. Cool. I don't know them, but... Yeah, so I have a little background on them. Just saying. So basically, uh, Catherine of Siena is the patron saint against fire, bodily ills, miscarriages, people ridiculed for their piety, sexual temptation, and nurses. 
Um, She was a mystic activist and author during the Middle Ages in Italy and had significant influence on several popes, including Pope Gregory XI and Pope Urban VI. Oh, I forgot to mention, this section does include some descriptions of self-harm and disordered eating, so please tread with caution. She died due to strict fasting as penance. So why she is associated with Olba, I couldn't find details on that, but my guess is that her intense self-sacrificing devotion of God, as well as her being influential to many popes, is similar to how Olba was influential with Shango, another powerful spiritual being, and also that um, Olba's intense self-sacrificing nature. Makes sense. Also, the things St. Catherine of Siena is patron of have some similarities to Olba's favored such as um, people ridiculed for their piety, which reminds me of people who will risk everything for love. Maybe that's a bit of a stretch. I don't know. Um, No, yeah, I I feel. I see where you're headed. Yeah. Yeah. Then St. Rita of Cascia is the patron saint of lost and impossible causes, sickness, Mm -hmm. wounds, marital problems, abuse, and mothers. I thought St. Jude was the patron saint of lost causes. I guess there's multiple ones. I also thought that. But according to Wikipedia, that is also what St. Rita of Cascia is the patron saint of. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, She's an Italian widow. She was an Italian widow and a nun. And she lives in an Augustinian order of sisters. So that's just a specific religious order that followed, like, the practices of a certain saint. Okay. Um, and she was known to practice mortification of the flesh, which is attempts to put, to, quote, put to death the sins of the flesh through actions such as fasting, excessive kneeling, and flagellation. Ooh, which is gross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. She is also often depicted with a wound on her forehead, which is believed to signify a partial stigmata, which is an event when one miraculously receives the wounds of Christ from the crucifixion. However, oh. in this case, it's just cuts from the crown of thorns on her forehead. Well, her life sounds miserable. Yes. <laughs> um, that's Catholicism. <laughs> Still um, so. Yeah. So again, I believe the similarities are due to her self-sacrificing nature. Um, and also, in particular, the association with head wounds. She's often depicted with a wound on her forehead. Mm. And... Baba is depicted with her ear cut off. Um, Makes sense. Yes. Also, the things she's patron of are greater similarities to Alba, being the patron saint of marital problems, abuse, and mothers. Mm. Yeah, makes sense. So, yeah. So that is Alba. And I just think she's a very interesting and very tragic character. Yeah, like the way that she'll just sacrifice her well-being just Mm -hmm. like for the love of her husband and then she gets nothing in return Mm -hmm. like that's so sad yeah and then there's also like um it's such a well-known story like this one um article i was reading on jstor let me see if i can find the title yeah it's so it's called oba's ear a yorba myth in cuba and brazil and it's basically this guy by william bascom and this guy just like went all over like Cuba and Brazil and like fat recorded a ton of different versions of the myth. And oh. like he just found it like everywhere. Like so many people knew about it. Yeah. And so it's just so interesting that it's a widespread myth. It is. 
And I wonder if it's, like, told, like, between wives or, like, Mm -hmm. or what. Yeah. And anyway, I'm glad that now she is getting, you know, at least to some extent she is being worshipped and offerings. And she is protecting women who are risking everything for love, who are married to abusive spouses, protecting sex workers and faithful wives. Yeah, it's nice that she turned that grief into, like, helping people. Mm-hmm. Who are like similar to her? Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I th- think she's. Um, I think you know I want more people to know about her because she's been overshadowed so much. Yeah, that's the point of Middle Ladies Podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so thank you for listening to today's episode. Um, feel free to subscribe, listen to our other episodes, and tell your friends. Thank you. Bye. Bye. May the Ladies Podcast is produced by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. Today's episode was researched and presented by Zoe Kenninger. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MayTheLadies and visit us on our website at MayTheLadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thanks for listening. See you next week.